Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Bull, Director of Public Affairs. And today we're doing another Facebook Live and podcast edition. So if you're watching us live, please feel free to leave any comments or questions. We would love to answer them as we talk here. And um, if not, that's all right. You can always get with us on our um, email or uh, through the website. You can find us and let us know what it is you'd like to know more about. But I am joined today by Spencer Tuma, our Director of National Legislative Programs. Hi, Spencer. How are you doing today? Hey, Eric. I'm doing good. How are you? Doing okay. Everything seems to be getting a little bit more back to normal, and you're in the office today. So how are things there at the home office? Things are great. Look at my chair. <laughs> well, you're so excited. I don't have that at home. So, yeah. um, no, things are good. I am in the office today. Uh, we're kind of transitioning back. Um, so I'm here a couple days a week uh, getting ready to kick off our annual policy development process, which starts today. And the policy development process normally is starting this time of year and um, mm -hmm. begins with a in-person meeting with the entire um, the entire resolutions committee, correct? Um, but that's a little bit different this year, right? Absolutely. So um, you're right. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Farm Bureau's policy development process, typically in a normal year, what would happen is we have a committee of approximately 50 people from around the state. Uh, they come from all different parts of Missouri. They come from all different sectors of agriculture, all different ages and backgrounds, um, and they spearhead our annual policy development process. The policy development process kicks off in June with what's called our open hearing. And normally that would be a two day long meeting of the entire resolutions committee and Missouri Farm Bureau staff members where we would bring in speakers from various organizations, agencies, or other interest groups to talk about issues that are facing agriculture. Um, so it's a very involved meeting. This year, due to all of the social distancing guidelines and everything going on with the pandemic, we did decide to move our open hearing to a virtual meeting this year. It's the first time we've ever done that. Um, we're experiencing as an organization a lot of firsts this year. It was the first time we had to cancel the DC trip. Um, and now it's the first time we'll be having a virtual policy development meeting. But we're really excited about it um, and excited to visit with our resolutions committee later today to kick off that process. Well, and to clarify, hopefully it's just postponed the DC trip. We will see. Right. That's a good we're, point. We're trying yes. to do things Just, differently, but we're not canceling. Right. Yes. Hopefully we will not have to cancel. Um, but yeah, we're excited to um, modify our policy development process a little bit. Um, my goal throughout this whole thing, um, as we've tried to determine what the best ways to run this are, um, are to keep things as normal as possible for our members. Right. Um, certainly easier said than done because served on the resolutions committee before uh, you'll know that this is not normal at all um, but if you're just a member of Missouri Farm Bureau and you haven't been involved with the resolutions committee yet things won't look a lot different uh, from our policy development process yeah so let's start could you explain a little bit about who is on the resolutions committee and why we like why, why do we have this process what is the point of going through all of this Right, that's a great question. So um, our policy development process is something we're really proud of at Farm Bureau, and it's a process that is unique to our organization. Basically, this process helps us determine as an organization which policies we support and which ones we oppose throughout the year. 
Um, we do this policy development process annually, um, and it takes about a year long every time. Um, so the resolutions committee, they're kind of the first step in the policy development process. And it's made up of members of our state board of directors. Uh, we alternate even districts or odd districts every year. Uh, we also have members of our promotion and education committee, county presidents from every one of our board districts across the state, our commodity advisory committee chairman and women all serve on the resolutions committee, and then the first year members of the state young farmer and ranchers committee all serve. And that, um, that cross section of people is intended to be kind of a representative sample to use more statistical terms um, of what agriculture looks like in the state of Missouri. So represents all different commodities, people who farm full time, people who maybe don't farm full time, people who live in rural areas all across the state, um, farm different commodities, some of them are involved in agriculture education. And so it's intended to be a really good cross section of individuals who represent Missouri agricultural policy. The committee first meets in the month of June to develop what's called the policy development questionnaire. And the questionnaire, uh, if you're a Missouri Farm Bureau member, it appears in the July issue of Show Me Missouri Farm Bureau magazine. And it's basically kind of like a survey. So it has, you know, 12 to 15 questions about topics of interest in agricultural and rural policies based on current events. So it's very likely something that the organization has not taken a position on in the past, or maybe it's a new issue. Uh, it could also be something that the organization has a position on, but maybe the resolutions committee feels like the ideas of the membership may have changed, or there have been new information presented that they would like to uh, kind of take the temperature of our members on. If you're a member of Farm Bureau, uh, you can fill that questionnaire out in your magazine. You can just tear it out of there and um, send that to your county Farm Bureau office. So like for me, my husband and I live in Osage County. So we would get our questionnaire in the mailbox and then fill it out and then return that to the Osage County Farm Bureau office. Then every county board has the opportunity to submit statements of, we call them resolutions, but they're basically statements of support or opposition based on the issues on the questionnaire. But you also have the ability to submit any idea that you think the organization needs to weigh in on through that process. The resolutions committee meets again in October to look through all of those responses and they actually propose a slate of resolutions based on the responses we get back from our county farm bureaus. We're really proud to have county farm bureau participation every year and we generally strive for 100% participation almost every year. Every single county submits resolutions in some form. Um, and we think that's really important because we are a statewide organization and the opinions of our members matter very, very much to the voting delegates. At our annual meeting in December, voting delegates from every county farm bureau come together at our annual meeting where they actually, it's kind of like Congress is how I generally kind of compare it. So uh, people have the opportunity, we put the policy book up on the screen. People have the opportunity to um, make motions, they can make amendments, they can add language into our policy book, or they can take it out. Um, and we spend most of our day, uh, one day at annual meeting, uh, and sometimes even a day and a half working through that process. Those policies that are voted on by our voting delegates are printed in the Farm Bureau Policy Book, and that is the, um, the guiding document, I guess I would say, 
of how our legislative team decides what to support and what to oppose when things are introduced in the state legislature or as a regulation or in the United States Congress. I realize that was a really long answer to your question, but no, it's, it's, it's a complex situation. Yeah. And I think that understanding this is uh, the more that I understand about Farm Bureau, I've been with the organization almost three years now. Um, and the, the longer I'm in the role, the more I start to appreciate this process and why it's different and um, how it sets Farm Bureau apart from some other organizations. Not that there's anything wrong with the way they do it either, but it's just a different approach. And the thing that's unique to me, I guess, is that we really do just set our policy once a year and we have a pretty thorough um, policy book. It's it's long. It's um, like 120 pages of policy. 126. There. there you go. <laughs> and so there's plenty in there to guide us. You know, if there's something that's not clearly laid out in the book, we can usually kind of figure out what the members um, support based on some of their statements in there. Um, but we don't switch policies midstream, you know, in the <laughs> middle of the year. It, from one annual meeting to the next, our policy is whatever the book says it is. So this is really the chance if members want their voice to be heard in, on a particular policy, they need to do it in this process. We we don't have, you know, you and I and our counterparts, uh, the rest of our colleagues that work at Farm Bureau don't get to change policy that we don't like. You know, if we disagree right. with it, too bad. <laughs> we, we don't, yeah. uh, we're not the ones who make it, it's members. Um, so this is the process that that happens by. And I think that's something that um, if you're new to Farm Bureau or if you're not familiar with Farm Bureau in general, it's kind of hard to understand unless you hear the whole process. But um, I know that I've gotten the question before from people who aren't involved with the organization. Well, um, have you even talked to farmers about the position that the organization is taking? And I always say, you know, the answer is yes. Like our farmer members are the ones who set our policy. I, as Director of National Legislative Affairs, I don't have any impact on what is right. in the policy book. Um, and I think that's so, so important because there are some organizations out there who don't have that grassroots component of their policy development. And that really does make us uh, unique in that, in that regard. And other state farm bureaus, I, I find this really interesting, other state farm bureaus do the same thing. So the, the general guidelines of how policy is set in Farm Bureau is replicated in all of the other states. We as a state actually have the opportunity to take our ideas to the American Farm Bureau and ultimately they have a resolutions committee just like we do. Uh, President Hearst serves on that resolutions committee um, and it's really cool to see, you know, we think a lot in Missouri, we have very diverse um, agricultural interests, right? Southeast Missouri and Northwest Missouri are very, very different in the type of agricultural commodities that they raise. Um, Southwest Missouri is even different from Southeast Missouri or Northeast Missouri. So um, just like there's regional differences in our state, there's regional differences across the country. And I think that's a really cool aspect of how Farm Bureau sets policy. Yeah, definitely so. And you'll certainly see those come up um, as we have these discussions. So with that said, we do have the, uh, the first round of um, discussions coming up in the next couple of days. Um, we, we, you already mentioned that it's going to be a lot different just because of the um, issues with COVID-19 and not wanting to make people travel from different parts of the state to get together in one big group 
um, and have a, a large meeting, we decided to take the open hearing concept virtual and um, break it up into different um, sections. So <laughs> I know this has been a logistical challenge for you to figure out, um, <laughs> along with some others, but a lot of it fell on your shoulders. So what is the actual process going to look like this year? Good question. Yeah, it has been a little bit of a logistical challenge, but I think we've got it figured out. Um, so today, our resolutions committee is going to meet via an initial full committee meeting conference call. So we will go over all of the changes to the process, what everybody needs to do. Um, largely, the duties of the resolutions committee are not, they're not really changing at all. They're just going to be delivered in a little bit different format this time around. And then the resolutions committee is actually divided into subcommittees that tackle different sections of our policy book because like you said, it is um, 126 pages long. So there's a lot of content in there to sort through. Um, each subcommittee will then work to identify issues related to their sections of the policy book. And that's how we will develop the policy development questionnaire. We've also reached out to, um, and this is something we do every year, but uh, we reach out to various commodity groups and ag organizations around the state uh, to get their input on if there's anything in their respective industries that they see up and coming. Um, so I know we've had a couple of groups submit information. We will still be providing that to the resolutions committee for discussion. Um, like I said, an, other than it being virtual, the duties of the resolutions committee will not change. If you're a member of Farm Bureau, you're still going to see your questionnaire in the July issue of Show Me Magazine. Uh, you can still send that to your county office. We are also going to be offering for the first time ever. Um, this is actually something I'm really excited about, um, something I've wanted to do for a couple years. And um, the situation we found ourselves in with the pandemic has kind of forced us to move it along a little faster. But we're going to be offering our survey online for our members this year. Um, you will have to have a Missouri Farm Bureau member number to access the survey, um, but we're really excited to offer that option um, so that we can kind of help people if they are um, nervous about going out or maybe they don't want to travel to their county office. Um, maybe they live in an area where um, the pandemic is, is still pretty active. Um, and still seeing a lot of cases, that will reduce foot traffic and reduce your need to, um, to get out of the house if you don't want to drop off that questionnaire. So, but as far as the process, counties will still submit their resolutions uh, in the fall, and we are hoping that our October meeting can still go on as planned. At this point, and, that I'm banking on. Yeah, hopefully so. And once, the, once counties receive all of those questionnaires, they typically go over them and as a county board and try to see what the temperature of the county is and submit those resolutions, uh, you know, proposed um, resolutions to uh, the, the state office um, to kind of put them together for the resolutions committee. Do you think that there's going to be, so a lot of counties, I think, kind of do this at their annual meeting, their county annual meeting. Do you think, um, have you gotten a sense from talking to counties what that's going to look like this year? Or are most counties still looking to do the same type of annual meeting as they have in the past? Or are, they, are there contingency plans? Or, you know, do you think that part's going to change? Yeah, that's a really good question. I haven't really talked to anybody 
directly about whether or not their county is planning to proceed with their annual meeting. Um, but we at Farm Bureau have developed some different kind of options and guidelines. I know um, throughout um, when the statewide stay at home order was going on, all of our regional coordinators have access to their own conference call lines now. So that makes it easy for to meet uh, without having to meet in person. Um, I know some of our counties have also been using Zoom. So um, there are some options out there. I think, you know, at least from my perspective, it's a little bit early to tell at this point um, what things are going to look like in August or September. Um, even from the, the point of planning the postponed DC trip or the I'm calling it the 2022.0 Washington DC trip. Um, There's just a lot of uncertainty about how things are going to look even in a few weeks. And so um, we certainly at the home office are ready and willing to assist anybody who has questions about that. Um, I know our field services department, Eric Vollmer, has really worked on a lot of materials for um, how counties might want to consider maybe doing things a little bit differently if they have concerns about their annual meeting. Yeah. Well, but we anticipate that we'll still have a lot of um, resolutions participation. I don't. I don't anticipate that this will impact that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's true. I think that we'll still be able to move forward with this process, but um, we'll just kind of have to play it by ear as far as how those annual county annual meetings go. I know there's a lot of people looking into options. You know, can you do it? Um, in a parking lot with a radio transmitter right. or, you know, will we even need to worry about any of that? Who knows? But um, hopefully we'll be able to get past all this and do everything like normal, but you just have to be prepared just in case. Um, so this has the- been, I've, Oh, sorry. I've kind of joked um, and you've heard me say this before, but I am somebody who plans, like I plan everything. Everything. I plan everything. Um, I've got like my calendar set through October, basically. But of, of which year? Uh, <laughs> this year, but um, uh-huh. like it has been a very good exercise in like trying to be flexible and be adaptable. Um, I will be the first to admit. I'll tell anybody who asks that is not always something I am personally very good at. And so um, I know that I've experienced a lot of personal growth despite all of the. Uh, craziness that seems to be going on around us. So um, hopefully if you are having trouble uh, going with the flow or adapting, uh, that this will be an opportunity. I try to think of it as an opportunity, not a burden. Um, Anyway, so (laughs) step off my soapbox there for a minute, but go ahead. No, that's good. Um, So as far as the actual resolutions committee this year and what they're going to be talking about and what, what the hot topics are going to be, what do you see as things that are going to maybe be controversial or the more discussed items or the things that are higher priority um, as we go through the process this year? So it's really hard to predict what exactly the members of the committee will bring up for discussion. You know, a lot of it um, really is based, um, and this would be true in any given year, on what's going on in the world around us right now. You know, I fully anticipate that we will have some very serious discussions about the livestock markets in this country. I think COVID-19 has really, um, we knew there were issues for a long time, but it has really Um, highlighted a lot of issues that exist in the current structure of the livestock markets. And so I mentioned this last week, but we have actually been working with the University of Missouri to try to get some 
economic analysis of some of the proposals that are out there. Uh, because at this point, our policy book doesn't dictate a specific solution. Um, and we realize that structural change is not going to occur overnight, but we want to be sure that any legislative proposal that is out there, we know generally how it's going to impact our industry before we sign our name to it. And so that's just one example, but there's a lot of different things. You know, I mentioned COVID-19, so I'll kind of tail onto that, but broadband is also something different, not necessarily related directly to farming, but it's certainly been something that has been highlighted as a really strong need throughout all this situation and rural healthcare as well. Um, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, we've certainly seen a lot of, um, We've had a lot of highs and lows, I guess is the way I want to phrase this, with international trade. Um, we were we we're doing pretty well, and it seems like things may have kind of flared up again with China. So I anticipate we'll probably have some discussion um, about China, but, but more broadly with trade as a whole. You know, there have been a lot of comments um, by the president, but also just by people on social media about, you know, why is agricultural trade important? And, you know, there there's this fear that, um, there's not enough meat in the grocery store, so why are we trading and all these different things. So I anticipate that um, a lot of those things will warrant very serious discussion throughout this process, and we want to hear from our members. I mean, that's, that's the point of this whole process. We want to hear what solutions you truly think will work and what you think might not be a good idea. Um, you know, when you look at things that are um, – issues that are so large, right? Like the livestock issues right now. Um, we wanna be very careful that we're really thinking through each of the policy proposals that come up and we need our members input. Um, I am not, I'm not a cattle producer. I, I'm not qualified by myself to make that decision and that's not what Farm Bureau is about. And so we really, really want our members to be able to provide feedback throughout that process. Yeah. Well, and I would assume we'll probably hear some people concerned about biosecurity and things of yep. that nature as well. Not to, not just the COVID-19 situation, although that has raised some of the questions about um, potential zoonotic diseases and mm -hmm. how we need to be you know, careful that we don't create a problem um, because of animal agriculture um, and be very cautious about our biosecurity. So that might be something brought up. And then also, you know, the African swine flu uh, fever has been such a big thing um, over the past couple of years and China and honestly still probably is going on over there in some um, form or fashion and we need to make sure that all those things are taken care of and we don't create even more problems on top of what we already have. So there's there's a lot of things I think are going to really be hotly debated this year. It won't be a, a boring year for the policy No, it, it never is. And I'll tell you, Eric, I, I've not been doing this very long. This will be my third round of policy development. I guess fourth if not when I was an intern. But um, there's always something that comes up that kind of surprises you. And it's always really interesting to see what that is. Because um, as you know at Farm Bureau, we represent all commodities, um, but we also represent rural America in general, rural Missouri. And so sometimes there are issues that we get so wrapped up in following that we don't even realize something else has been a problem. And, and that's why this process is so important is because it surfaces those issues and it helps us be able to take action to do something about it. Um, I know this was just a couple of years ago um, there was an issue with um, funding of critical access hospitals and time critical diagnosis programs. 
I had never even heard of that, I'll be honest. And it's a state program, Time Critical Diagnosis. And we were at our annual meeting and one of our members came in and said, you know, I serve on my local ambulance board and this is a real problem and this is why. And now we have policy on it and we're able to advocate for that aspect of rural healthcare. Um, and I'm big enough to admit, I didn't even know it existed prior to that. And that, that's why this process is so important. And that's why Farm Bureau has such a good reputation for policy development is because, because our process is so deliberate, we also don't try to rush in to anything. And I think, you know, there's been this conception before that, um, well, you know, it only happens once a year. And so it makes it hard to respond. But we do not rush into bad policy at Farm Bureau. And, and that's why this process is, is so critical to our organization. Yeah. yeah, definitely so. All right, well, I know you've got a lot on your plate to get <laughs> prepared for, so uh, we'll wrap it up at one last question. Since we are always having a quarantine question, we're not technically quarantined anymore, but I think- I wish BJ one. was here to answer. You can answer for him too. Um, but okay. we do have one this week, and that is, um, so what is your quarantine playlist? What What's the album that you've been listening to um, more than anything else during this period? Or if it's not an album, is there um, something else that's really been, you know, consuming your time as you uh, do your work around the house and whatnot? Great question. So um, I have a very um, random taste in music. Uh, my playlist, it, it runs the gamut. Um, I think it would shock anybody. Uh, but I would say if I had to pick an album that I've listened to the most, it is definitely Taylor Swift's Lover, uh, which won't surprise um, our intern is sitting in here and she's laughing at me right now. That will not surprise any of my friends or family, but uh, that is my most listened to album throughout the um, throughout the stay-at-home order and all of that. Right. What is Very the good. Um, so in reality, I haven't really been listening to music very much, but I've been um, just gorging on podcasts and audiobooks. Um, but actually, the, the, the thing that I just finished uh, over the weekend, I spent a whole bunch of time out in the yard doing yard work, and I listened to my first two Agatha Christie books. And... Oh. You know, I had no idea how good they really are. I guess there's a reason she's the number one selling author of all time. So yeah, figure. that would make so, sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I listened to Murder on the Orient Express, and um, and then there were none. They were both fantastic. I really would like to uh, read a couple more of her uh, mysteries. So very impressed with those. We're, okay, so we didn't know that this was going to be a quarantine question, but since you haven't been listening to a lot of music, what is your favorite book you have read throughout all of this? Oh my gosh. Um, or listen to. I know you like audiobooks, so. Yeah, well, I just count that as read because what's the yeah. difference? All the social science, or all the, all the science says that it's the same. Um, I think really that... Um, Murder on the Orient Express was probably my favorite that I've listened to. I've probably listened to like, I'd say 12-ish books during the quarantine because mm -hmm. we've had a lot of time. Um, but yeah, that was so good. And it's one of those things where it feels like it opened up a whole new 
genre to me. So I think that yeah. it'll it'll maybe play a part in a lot of the books I read down the road. I read, um, it's called The Only Plane in the Sky. Actually, the only reason I know that. because your wife had recommended it to me. That's why I've heard about that. Um, and it's a, it was about 9-11, and um, I found it very, very interesting. It's a very heavy read, um, very tragic event. Um, but another one I read that I really enjoyed was um, Sisters First by Jenna Bush Hager and Barbara Bush, um, twins of George W. and Laura Bush. Um, it was a lot lighter read, talking about growing up uh, in the Bush family, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I've heard, um, maybe it was Sarah that was talking about that as well, but I've heard that that was really interesting, too. I always think those kind of behind-the-scenes things are fascinating to hear, because um, so often you just see the sanitized, like, um, television view of those famous people's lives, especially the first family, and seeing what it's really like. Actually, I guess that's another um, one I should suggest is um, I read the new book about Winston Churchill. Um, gosh, what was it called? But it was about um, what it's like, what it was like being with him during the Blitz. Um, actually, you know, the people around him and what he was like as a person. And that was fascinating because, man, what a tough guy. <laughs> like, I, yeah. It sounds like he was a real jerk to work for, but it was exactly what they needed at the time. Um, so anyway, very interesting stuff. All right, well, Spencer, thank you again for joining us. Um, hopefully everything goes well technologically with the uh, open hearing in the next- Fingers uh, crossed. Days. Yes, fingers crossed. Um, but, uh, but if we have any problems, I know you'll find a way to work them out. Uh, we look forward to getting back together in person again uh, with the resolutions committee and hopefully we'll uh, be able to do that at the next uh, the next meeting later uh, later in the year this fall as uh, they come together to try to figure out what our policies are going to be for the 20 is this the 2021 book is that what we call it yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's yes, right because the, yes. the one we have now is you're right 20. i always well, get confused and I like years my eyes like went over to my desk and I realized I left my marked up copy of the policy book at home and when I oh, like no. left. So, um, I'm going to have to grab another one before the call, but normally I would just look at that and be like, oh yeah, that's the right year, but it's <laughs> That's right. So. Well, our 2021 policies, which seems impossible, but um, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to get back to a normal process and this will be the only departure from normal we'll have to have. So I hope so. Well, thanks right. again, Spencer, Sounds for good. joining us. We'll, we'll uh, talk to you as soon as we get an opportunity. Thanks again. All right. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay.